Hey, it's Ryan. Before we get started, I just wanted to say we're really having fun putting this show together every week. We love doing it, and we hope you're getting something out of it too. If you've been enjoying the show, please take a minute now or when you finish this episode to go into your podcast app and leave us a rating and review. Every single one helps us put this show out in front of more people, which means putting our great guests in front of more people. Guests like Pat Jr. last week, Ace Henderson this week, Miriam from K97.5 next week, and generally just helps us put more of a spotlight on our area and the North Carolina hip-hop scene as a whole. Thanks a lot and hope you enjoy this week's show. What's up, super empty and super emptyites, super emptyologists? Welcome to episode three. We've got a great show for you today. And what a day to record it on, Justin. It's January motherfucking 28th. Tell them what that means if they don't know. It's our boy J. Cole's birthday. Yes. Happy birthday to J. Cole. Also, and rock him. The God MC. The best. And also, it's a big day because it's the Grammys. We've got Rhapsody up for best rap song and best rap album. And then Ninth Wonder's production credits put him in the running for best rap album with Rhapsody and Kendrick and then album of the year with Kendrick. So it's a big night for NC Hip Hop as well. Are, are we going to that rooftop viewing party? You guys didn't hit me back about that. I didn't hear anything. I'm going to try to. I, I had a long weekend. Mandy yeah. and I talked about this on the rundown. We went to a lot of shows. Uh, I'm, I'm struggling, but I'll do it for the culture. And last but not least, it's a great day for recording a hip-hop podcast because the President of the United States woke up this morning and the first thing he did was take shots at Jay-Z on Twitter. I hate but that what guy. a world we're living in right now. But Jay-Z, a great person to uh, battle, combat yes. this... Uh, I don't even know what to call him anymore. I've used all the totally incompetent. Yeah, yeah, This is a battle I like more because I actually... This is better than me for me than LeVar. Yeah, Trump better. because I didn't know which side to pick there. There was a lot of there was a lot of uh, complexity on my end morally. Here it's very clear. All right. Well, there's three topics for your inspection today, Justin. First, uh, you might have heard Migos put out an album on Friday. I didn't know that. Yeah, they weren't the only ones though. Uh, also, Dilated People's founding member Evidence, with his first album in seven years, he had an album come out. Um, and there's so much I want to discuss around this because I think these two acts are a really great point. Uh, framing reference for hip-hop right now their difference in age the difference in size and their audiences the difference in how long they've been doing it uh, the difference in styles so and how much it, i like them yeah and how much you like them so so in the end like january 26 rolls around last week and those two releases sit right next to each other as the biggest releases of the week when there's just so much differences between them so many differences and it um uh, it really speaks to the breadth of of the hip-hop scene and how different it, their different artists are yeah, you used uh, the the Venn diagram. Mm -hmm. uh, sort of where are people in that cross section between those audiences, and and we talked about how the age, uh, yes. where you kind of fall in age, uh, might determine where you are sitting in that Venn diagram. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm in a pretty narrow part of that Venn diagram of people who were interested in both of those releases, but it's still definitely a good topic to consider. Second, Ace Henderson is here, our friend. He's a rapper, he's a maker of music, just an all-around good human being. Our, our new thing is that for artists to be on the show, they need to pick a topic to discuss and write about it for the site. So Pat had his SoundCloud topic last week. He hasn't finished it yet, but he's working on it. Ace is coming in to talk about the pressures we put on artists from all the way from the local scene to the international level. Just we pressure them to put out a constant flow of stuff and prioritize quantity over quality. So uh, he'll be talking with us about that. Yeah, and that ties into the first seg segment as well with evidence, like you said, you know, first right. solo project in seven years. Mm -hmm. uh, Migos, as uh, on the flip side of that, very uh, present, uh, kind of all the time in the right. minds of hip hop fans. And then twenty four songs on the album. Yeah, <laughs> the two hour Jeez. album. Yeah. So um, 
Yeah, some some common themes between our segments here, and I'm excited to have Ace. I think he's sure. a great guest. Anytime with Ace is a good time. And last but not least, uh, talking to a super empty contributor, culture critic, former South Carolina uh, State House of Reps candidate, KJ Kearney. Uh, I couldn't be more excited to have him on the show. He's talked to you guys at Runaway about events in Durham. He does a lot of stuff in Charleston. And uh, he's talking about connections between North Carolina and South Carolina hip-hop scenes and just like how we're just kind of lost in translation a little bit between the two states. Yeah, he had a lot of great things to say. A very wise man. I mean, obviously running for uh, uh, as a congressional candidate. Right. You know, there's a lot of... Um, well, I should say, I was going to say there's a lot of maturity there, but maybe you don't have to be very mature to run for <laughs> yeah, office. Clearly, <laughs> clearly, if you if you've sought higher office, you must be a great person. Well, he actually is. So it was good to have him on. All right, Holland, let's run it. Run it, run it, run Every week there's something that happens, I think probably more than one thing, that displays how little I deserve to do a weekly hip-hop podcast. Uh, this week it was the fact that the Migos album came out, and I loved the song Stir Fry that Pharrell produced. I've had it on like nonstop, and then I found out that this song came out on December 20th. Like, like the president, I am totally unfit for my office. But you think it's the best song from the It's podcast. definitely the most fun song. It's definitely the highest tempo song on the album. And I've seen that in other reviews as well, like that this, the album kind of keeps a mid mid-level tempo throughout a lot of songs. That's one of the more high-energy party songs. Pharrell, man. I know. He's everywhere. I just clicked through each of the songs uh, and listening to five or six seconds in the middle, and I actually couldn't tell if any of them were different tempos. Except for so that one, that hopefully. That. Except for that one, and then there's one, the last, the very last song is a little bit slower. Right. I thought you were going to come on Podman and be like, I just ran the BPM for the entire album, and I saw noticed Look, a slight variation. <laughs> So, but they, they were not the only release, as we said. There's also a new ev- uh, album from Evidence, who you might remember from Dilated Peoples. You're a big fan. I was a big fan growing up. And the difference, I wanted to talk about it because the difference in the lead up of these two albums and a lot of other things about them could not be more different. Spe- so, specifically in the years leading up to them. So, Evidence's last album was in 2011, had production from DJ Premier, Crisis from Jamla's Soul Council, little NC connection there. That was seven distant years ago, it feels like. By comparison, Migos formed in 2009. They had their, a bunch of mixtapes. Their breakout was in 2013 when Drake remixed Versace. More recently, they really started dominating things with the Culture album put out about a year ago. So, and, and this has all happened in the, stri- in, the, in the time of about a couple of years. And now their Spotify streams are 20 million monthly compared to Evidence with 200,000 monthly. They just, there's so much to talk about the difference between these artists. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be fair to Evidence, they did have a dilated people's album come True. out in 2014. Yes. Um, so he wasn't completely unheard of or, or unheard from uh, since 2011. But to your point, still Migos cramming a ton in that short window of time. Uh, and, uh, you know, in terms of musicality, I think some differences there. Migos makes a lot of uh, like club friendly, single friendly, single song stream friendly songs. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Evidence coming from a, a, t- a yesteryear yes. uh, is really focused on making projects and um, which we've talked about is sort of a lost art these days. Um, so yeah, it's, I think 
that you can attribute some of the gap between yeah. projects to just a, a totally different approach in how music is released for, between the two of them. True. I, it felt like a relic from another era to me. Like when I, I had, this wasn't on my radar at all. And then I saw, yeah, me neither. I looked up like what was coming out this week other than Culture 2. And I saw that and I was like, man, this is like, for me, this is like high school of like Brother Ali, like the whole Rhyme Sayers mm -hmm. click of listening to more like Ninth and Murs, all those albums. That's back when I was really listening to Evidence. And so it just feels like so much has changed. Styles have come and gone. And with Migos being the prime example of like what's hot right now and Evidence coming out on the same day was like a blast from the past. Like, whoa. And, and it was really critically acclaimed. Like it's been well, really well received as an album. So do you think in five years, if Culture 3 comes out <laughs> and it sounds the same as uh, Culture 2, people that are will there still be trap fans in five years well that's that's, that's what's interesting question, here right? is like there's still a core audience of people who want to listen to what evidence does right. myself and justin included and i think that goes to show there will always be i think a, a core following for this whether or not they're still making it at 41 is the unknown thing right. whether they're interested or other people are interested because evidence all that stuff is based in people who really love doing this and like love I mean, I'm, I'm biased, but I think they really love hip hop and love rapping and the whole art of it. Whereas to contrast that I, Migos has more been about, yeah, I don't know. I, it feels like it's more about the being a rapper and living the, the lifestyle. lifestyle. Right. And I read one, a thing that they weren't focusing on the lyrics of their album. This one. Yeah. Leading up to the release, they were focusing on the sound. So, oh, right. Also, we didn't talk about they released a producer saying, list, which is a very yeah. like unknown novel concept. They released not a feature list first for verses, but who made the music. And that goes to the point about trap music largely being about the producer mm -hmm. and not the lyrics. Um, you see that all over the place. You also see that with the prominence of producers as their own like brands, like Metro Boomin. Yep. Like there's more name brand producers now, I think, than there were um, the last uh, time evidence. I don't know, Just I, I feel like uh, we've had Manny Fresh, people like Just that. Just Blaze, were, yeah, were Timbaland. But generally speaking, yes, like the people signing on for would people have bought a Manny Fresh album back then? I don't know. I don't know. Like a Metro Boomin. These guys song. are releasing their own albums. They're also playing festivals like you see. You might see Catronada or Metro Boomin on the. Yeah, for the Coachella for on the Coachella, bill. Right. Mm -hmm. But and maybe that did happen back in the day, but not that I'm aware of. Also, I guess there's a, a thousand more festivals. <laughs> That's, true. <laughs> That's true. No, speaking of festivals, that was another thing where evidence and dilated is like a timestamp to me of like Rock the Bells, which doesn't even exist anymore that I know of. But like that was that kind of sound. Yeah, well, we've been talking too about the the old men in rap and mm -hmm. still kicking guys like Black Thought, Jay-Z, who's up for a Grammy. Uh, Black Thought, of course, with the, the freestyle and funk flex guys like evidence um and you mentioned rhyme sayers i know slug atmosphere they're still putting out music yeah. as well and i think there it speaks to there's um you know when they're coming up making music they their core fans are really who like allowed them to ascend there wasn't the internet there wasn't uh like a ton of rap blogs for them to break on and so they really had to build this grassroots following yep. And those people have followed them Never throughout their career. That's a really great yeah. point about building, like the level of investment of those people emotionally and financially, like paying for tons of stuff. Yeah. But today, to be a fan of Migos requires so little investment. Right. You just have to get on Twitter a, a and get on Spotify. Yeah. Not even get a subscription. You could just sure for free yeah, listen right. to some ads. You can listen to the whole album. And like you said, uh, evidence is going to be able to make music for the rest of his life that tens of thousands of people or yeah something in that realm will pay money for 
because they invested in it like in 1999, 2000. Mm-hmm. Tying this into something locally and relevant because she's nominated tonight. Yes. We're recording this on Sunday before the Grammys come out. Thank you um, for doing my job because yeah. I forgot to say that. Crossing our fingers for her. Uh, Rhapsody in her NPR Tiny Desk talked about the idea that she has far less fans, I guess, mm-hmm. than people, I guess, the uh, contemporaries. Yeah, than her contemporaries, but they're all so loyal to her that she is going to have a sustainable career mm. whether she like goes to the next level pop culture wise or something like that either way a, a weird analogy to this too i was actually listening to uh, a different podcast the recode one that you put me on to justin and they were talking about they had the ceo of bleacher report on there and he was talking about how the model for a lot of these sports media websites is to just post a lot of content based on what people are looking for. So you're just constantly churning on output and you have a bunch of reporters on staff that are doing these pieces. And we talk about that with complex as well. Um, (laughs) But they mentioned that Barstool's brand converse to that is like this cult following of people who would be more willing to like subscribe and like be, get behind a paywall for their content. Not that I'm comparing uh, Barstool to Big fans of Barstool on this pod. <laughs> yeah, let's not get dilated but people. But simply from a um, from a fanship, right? Point yeah, of people. View, are I think that's like, the idea, right? Is that people are the, invested emotionally, not just uh, physically, physically, <laughs> <laughs> viscerally. Um, no, it's it's an unfortunate and sad example, it's but transient. it's a real example of like that audience. They do something different, not something I can get behind. Right, but it's definitely distinctly different and so people are through the through the different like changes in time and culture whatever happens you'll know that if you want to sign up for some misogynistic you know think you're still in college but you're in your 30s shit they got it for you Mm -hmm. they got it and uh and i'm glad you brought up rhapsody because there's a bunch of north carolina connections here um kind of going into north carolina hip-hop from before the rhapsody era with that i didn't even know about before we looked at this abb records like was dilated people was on abb records as an indie hip-hop label before they signed with Capitol and put out their big debut. That was the same label that Little Brother came out on. Um, and like I said earlier, Crisis produced on his on um, his last album. He's produced with them in the past. So And Rhapsody's on the new album, on the new Evidence oh, album. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, so this is like also stylistically, it goes to show that Evidence isn't the only person who's carrying that torch still. Someone like Rhapsody to me, reminds me of those people and she's sitting there right next to Migos in the Best Rap Album of the Year nominations tonight. Right. My question to y'all is, do you think that it, we talk about Rhapsody and Evidence, and sonically they are kind of of the same style, and correct me if I'm wrong about that, but it's kind of this That's old true. school boom back thing. Do you think that people that are coming up on Migos and this trap sound are becoming emotionally invested in that in the same way that y'all were on that kind of older sound? Right. And in that way, they will be able to sustain... Dang, we're about following. to get some old man opinions right here. These are about to be grumpy takes. Because but Migos go ahead, Justin. means more to some people <laughs> go ahead. than it does to y'all. I know you're going to be shocked to hear that. <laughs> no, But I, the question is, does it, is it Migos that matters to them? Or, the or sound it could be anyone Migos. making that sound. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, that's the that's difference the is that, um, you know, when you, you know, we made this point about investment, uh, you're spending money on their albums. You're, uh, and you only get, you know, so talking about, uh, dating ourselves, we I remember uh, having iTunes and like buying albums on iTunes and even buying CDs 
before that, you only had so much space yeah. for artists. <laughs> sure, and right. so it's like you... Uh, you're either listening to their albums independently or when you started burning CDs, those CDs were still limited to how many tracks you could have on them. So the it's CDs like you were picking... And how many CDRs yeah. you had. Right, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I got that six-disc six changer. Put that on the timestamp. Uh, so yeah, I think there's a, there's a level of investment from uh, older fans where because what they could listen to every day was more limited, yeah. you invested more in learning the songs... Uh, becoming fans of those artists and and going to their shows versus I mean I can't imagine Migos playing I don't know about if Evidence or Dilated People's ever played uh, like big big venues I'm sure like they that. did I'm sure they did uh, yeah yeah you're right maybe not as recently yeah, but sure. certainly in the late aughts I don't know like Evidence played with Little Brother in aughts. fact at Cat's Cradle um, right so just thinking about the the difference there but um, yeah to your point it's all, it's not just about the style of the music. It's about the landscape of consuming music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just think it's different. And Ryan, you were making the point that, um, yeah, that just like it could be anybody. It doesn't have to just be Migos. It's like a particular but sound that could be and wrong culture. That. Yeah. I could be wrong in that and that people really do like them for them. I mean, because I think someone younger, like a Holland, or someone younger than a Holland Holland's might say... not that young. <laughs> He's young enough that he, he knows Migos better than Evidence. Am I correct, Holland? Yes. Okay. And so him and people younger than him might make the case of like, well, all that shit sounds the same. Sure. And, and I do. And yeah. And Holland make will make that case. So And they're building me, celebrity I mean, culture too around their personas. So before you might be invested, because with the lack of social media, you're invested purely in the music versus now you might be investing in the artists themselves even more because you're following them on Instagram, Maybe. you're following them on the you blogs. Like their personality. You yeah. like that like they're yeah. engaged to And then artists, I think, that know that. I think they're investing not only in their music, but in their personas as well. So, And quite frankly, I think that if I listened to more of the style of music they were talking about, that Rhapsody and Evidence embody, then I would not think that it all sounds kind of the same to me because there are nuances you that y'all appreciate the that I think that you guys don't appreciate necessarily in the Amigos sounding artists because y'all don't But I'm trying. I'm trying. Holland. I really am. I guess Ryan does. We're going to learn things on this pod. I'm trying. That's why I haven't gotten all the way through Culture 2, but like I, was, I was hoping Culture 2 would be my way of like learning more. And now I'm reading from other people that even people who are deeply into this style are not finding that album super, you know, great, uh, gratifying. Yeah. It would help to cut the track list in half. From 24 that's songs. Another, that's a whole other thing. I, I wonder why they did that. I'm curious. Do people have an appetite to Dude, listen to a two-hour People were saying album? that. So Quavo is like Does a co-executive producer of this. And people were saying like if Quavo at all is the reason why this track list is so long, then like he should probably stop executive producing albums and yeah. just stick to what he does best. And it's interesting it's you bring that up because we're going to talk to Ace about that. Yes, About we the will. appetite when for When are we going to do that, Justin? In our next segment. In our next segment. Let's get right to it. That's what my dog's in the night Migos is a great jumping off point for our guest this week, Raleigh rapper, friend of Runaway, Ace Henderson, and the topic he wanted to discuss about quality versus quantity in music today. So like I said in the opening, one thing that we've decided as guests on the show, you got to bring a topic and you have to write about it for the site if you want to be on the show. I'm pretty pleased about this. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. Not just because we get to hang out with our friends more, but also you get to see a more 
dynamic side from the artists that you appreciate you know you like their music but also they have these other verticals that they yeah. work in guys like you think about like Fonte writes television shows um, he's more than just his music and so it's cool for us to have people on uh, that are also multi-dimensional yeah. like our friend Ace so I wanted Ace to be on the show um, I informed him that you got to write something for us he sent me a great pitch it's like a book report or something. kind of like a book report he wrote it apparently during soundcheck about uh, quantity versus quality and from the international level all the way down to like local artists so He's here with us. Ace, what's up, dude? Nothing much. Last night was a great night. Um, I also stepped in a little bit of poop. And no. we're, we're still rocking. It's okay. We're still rocking. You <laughs> got to take life with we'll the ups through. and downs. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was all about. So to start this off, um, we, we talked about how this, or we were talking earlier about how this affects artists of, of all levels. And you wrote in your book report to me. <laughs> More like a thesis. We'll say it was like a thesis. It was the abstract um, about... Also, rap music specifically, or like yeah. for certain rappers, like the way we ex- expect more from a good example, Migos, than uh, a James Blake or other people. Yeah, yeah. It's like the urban contemporary market or like the counter pop culture, the yeah pop counter culture. It's like the the fandom, it almost ceases as soon as the artist is done. Like when they, when they, leave, when they drop the mic, so to speak, everyone's like, all right, so what are you going to do next? And it's like, wait, wait, wait. Like, mm-hmm. Are they not allowed to live? Are they not allowed to like create from a different place besides just demand? Yeah, and that sometimes it seems like that that places a ceiling over artists in a weird way that we don't do. For like, I don't think anyone was like, "Yo, Beethoven, when's that next concerto? <laughs> like, when is that coming through?" All like, the classical blogs, <laughs> <laughs> because I think it comes from a place that like we have such access to information that happens so quickly that as soon as we get something, we're like. I liked it or I didn't like it because of this. So yeah. I wonder if the next time they do it, they're going to fix everything that I address that I don't like. And then we forget that like art is technically about the honesty of expression, right? So Yeah, and is, you should only put something out because you had something to do. Not because you had like you, you had something to say. You wanted to put yeah. something out into the world, not because there's just an expectation that every so many months you're, you're due yeah. or something. Yeah, else. yeah we it, talked about that a little bit before, the evidence versus Migos crowd and their trajectories and which was um, super neat by the way thank you you're welcome yeah uh, guests are also required to sit while we do our first segment and <laughs> compliment us on it <laughs> later no uh, no no i was just, i mean the whole time i was like wait hold on so honestly i'm not that familiar with evidence until i think you played something i was like oh actually yeah I've, I've heard that before and then it like it took me back to when i heard it. i was like oh i can't remember what place i was when i heard this now with i mean this migos project just before you had heard of amigo Way before I heard of Amigo. I mean, besides Spanish too. And like, I was sitting here. I'm like, wow. Um, hmm, I can't recall the first time I heard Amigo song outside of like the like you said, like the individual streamability of their music. I was in the middle of a party, heard a Versace remix with Drake, and I was like, wait, who are these people? And then I went and did it. Whereas mm-hmm. like with old school hip hop, there's more of a okay. We took our like a our time we built this so that our fans are going to connect with it whereas like you kind of get this sterilized type of feel from things like culture too mm-hmm. i mean i haven't even heard it yet and if you go on twitter there's a thousand armchair reviews of this album and now i'm like do i want to listen to it now like, yeah and you talked about more life and views just how this is how this goes with drake yeah and how he simultaneously feels like he he is a great case of this because people when his album came out, 
or when this new two songs, not a whole album, mm-hmm. came out, it was like, oh, the first songs from Drake in forever. And he put out music like less than a year ago. Mm-hmm. You know, and and we talked about more life and how there were songs you were still discovering from yeah. like now. Honestly, and, and to me, like with this new release, the scary hours, like as a music like fan and nerd, like I was super excited about it. One because the packaging was really cool. Like I saw the artwork and I was like, I like simple stuff. This is okay. Is this a full thing? Or and then once he released it, what he did was, which I think went over a bunch of people's heads somehow, is not. he went back to the original single format. Now, if oh, you think right, about 40, yeah, when you think about 45s and LPs and everything, like we were talking about vinyls, artists would drop something titled like, for the love of whatever, and then yeah. they have the A side and the B side, and that's exactly what it gave us, and that's why everyone's it's like, It's so oh. funny, in this day and age, it's like, people are like, what is, I guess this is like an EP? Like, what do yeah, we Yeah, everyone's like, is this like, an album? I was like, it's a single, it's a single, <laughs> but he dropped two, so it's still a single release, you guys, it's a single you release. You like forgot how to talk about this stuff. Right, and I, that's what I appreciate about Drake sometimes, he's like, okay, like, I understand we're all growing and evolving and all this stuff, but here's something really simple that I'm gonna give you and see if this is going to like tap into the the core fan base that I think is there as well as appeal to whoever's been just like latching on because they've seen him attributed to other records like he does yeah. like features like French Montana and random stuff like that it also it, it reminded me of uh <laughs> I don't know if we did this on one of the ones that was like a practice pod or the real pods but DMX and how uh he was a case of, and also Future recently did the had two albums in, in one year. year that were number one, um, which I read an article that said that was the first time ever, which was definitely wrong because DMX yeah. did it and, and Tupac, I believe. But so, but DMX was a case Great of company, right? Tupac, DMX, and Future. <laughs> yeah, man. Speaking of the breadth of the hip hop sphere, um, but that was a case I just read about it the other day where he put out. It was very motivated by the commercial aspect of of rap music like mm-hmm. he put out an album in may of that year and i think it was leor cohen was running the yeah, label it was on yeah and, well he wasn't running 300 wait it wasn't it wasn't 300 is his new thing but i don't know what label it was back then that he was running but he was like oh, back back my friend. yeah back when in 1998 he put out the first one and i get them mixed up yeah uh hell hath no fury i think mm-hmm. and and it went so well it went number one that he said i'll give you a million dollars if you do a second one by the end of the year. Yeah. And it, and it was recently, I want to find this so we can link it for people, but it was a great piece on like the next few months and his team and how crazy it was trying to put together a second album to get that million dollars and then went number one again. Right. So there's a case where obviously those two albums are very well respected and it was motivated not by the art, but by like, you're hot right now, put out another thing. And the incentive though, the incentive is like literally right there, seven figures. If you do this, yeah. we'll give you seven figures. It makes me wonder about well, probably not, but if Culture 2, yeah, if there's any kind of thing of, I mean, they put it out a year apart. I don't know why there would have been an incentive to make it so long. Um, as far as a direct incentive, like, we'll give you this if you do that. But it just was like, we're hot right now, so we're going to flood flood the waves with uh, new content. In, in, con- in like, complete contrast, is like, okay, Migos are from that, that um, nucleus of, like, Atlanta artists, when we think about artists that put a lot of, lot of content out, we just mentioned Migos, Future, but the first person that I ever experienced someone putting out a huge bounty of work and it being consistent. Lil Wayne. Oh, you're really close. Really close. Gucci Mane. Mm. Like, if you look at it, Gucci Mane has been putting projects out pretty much since the day he got out of prison. What, like last year? 
and somehow it works. No one has an issue with that. No one is like, Gucci, why are you doing this? But somehow it works. What is the difference then in terms of, is it style of artists? Is it like caliber of artists? What what allows for certain people to get away with flooding the market with the material? Because we haven't talked about Frank at all. Yeah, versus uh, um, a guy like Kendrick, who's generally unheard from mm-hmm. uh, in between major releases, or a guy like Frank Ocean, um, who are also, I mean, they're, yeah, they're, widely respected artists um and yeah but they can go years without um kind of being in the spotlight or being putting out new music so yeah i'm just curious what you guys think about what the criteria are for uh, being given Given that opportunity yeah to well i definitely not to cut you off i think it definitely varies from artist to artist um when we speak about kendrick um if I remember correctly, there was a brief period of time, like maybe 2011 to 2013, 14, he was putting stuff out pretty consistently. He went from the Kendrick Lamar EP to Overly Dedicated, then mm-hmm. Section 80. Then yeah. everyone was like, oh, Doesn't it spend like two years? Yeah. Everyone's like, oh my God, who was this Kendrick Lamar dude? Then he's like, steps back. Dr. Dre's like, this is my guy on the radio. Like, since everyone likes to downplay the importance of radio, like, Dr. Dre went to the airwaves and was like, yo, this is my dude. I like this guy. Watch out for him. Yep. Eight months later, I believe. If eight to ten months later, we get Good Kid, Mad City. Yeah. One of the best albums ever in hip hop. Top ten for you? Oh, you said, I thought it was like I thought it's like widely unanimous, like a top five. Like before Ooh, To Pimp a Butterfly, most Ace people called it. Back Wait, hold podcast. on a second. Before <laughs> To Pimp a Butterfly. Which then suddenly took a lot of people's thing. Yeah. Well, that of the two is the one that's in like the, whoa, this sounds super old, man. But like in the Harvard hip hop archive, like, but I'm, but it's not. <laughs> no, that's for not, different that's, reasons. I think then. Uh, yeah, yeah, but no, but well, I thought I thought Good Kid, Mad City is yeah, like. I think Tibet Butterflies in the. I thought it's like for most people, there's like three in consideration, and that's one of them. That's what I thought. I'll do some homework. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I can I can like attest to like, that. I can attest to like out of the two that he's released, and well, like out of the bounty of. Well, hold on. Wait, let's take it back. Just <laughs> yeah, one more second. Deep wait, Kendrick dropped. Good Kid, Mad City took a break. Did to Pimp a Butterfly. Then he did Untitled, Unmastered, and Amazing. then also still came out with another album. Damn, like not damn, damn, <laughs> damn, like, like like double entendre intended and everything. Like so, we're still seeing that bigger artists, like monolithic artists, can still not oversaturate but still remain consistent but it's like kendrick has kind of built that appeal just off of the nature of his music the company that he keeps and yeah do what you do get guest verses from kendrick uh you know with him being associated with tde he's on right you know um isaiah rashad's project he's on j-rock's project he's on everybody pretty much i I mean except for lynn skywalker Um, but that's a whole other conversation yeah but to answer your question i think it goes down to like the style that they kind of establish for themselves and it becomes part of the mystique i think for migos and gucci Mane and and lil wayne for a stretch that became part of the appeal of them is like they're gonna they're gonna just drop so much shit and if you like it you're gonna be able to sift through it and find your favorite stuff yeah and it's part of the mystique of frank ocean that he's this kind of mythical character that's gonna just kind of swoop in with like a beautiful project every now and then and so not to say people don't bother him about it because that was the whole thing is people had been bugging him about yeah. it. but someone like me or i think people that like in the room here are totally willing to let him 
not bother us for like four or five years at a time because we know that eventually he's going to drop something incredible. I think I'm more prone to try and like figure out where he actually is like on the planet. <laughs> where are you? Like worry about <laughs> like, like when the music, music is coming. Just tell like, me where okay. you are. Drop a pin. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just like know that you're alive and like eating and everything like that. I want to make sure you're okay because like on a real level, I think that that sometimes contributes to like some of the the downfall of big artists or mm-hmm. things like that. Like if we even go to a switch over to the pop realm we were talking about adele and beyonce and before them Amy. it was i'm gonna that's cry. Part don't of make pressure. me cry no i'm saying don't that's cry okay on this podcast. but it's legitimate to bring that i was up. gonna say whitney houston as well because yeah. whitney came out swinging like her first album she was 18 got nominated pretty sure i'm pretty sure she got nominated for a grammy all that stuff and then after that whitney where's it at where's it at where's it that at also we need you. killed yeah. another non-rapper uh d'angelo was big on that. Was a, there were a lot of pressures around that because he was such a big deal. Also, there was but a whole was, sex appeal aspect. Yeah, think, of it. yeah, yeah. But and then he came back with Black Messiah and did. Oh my goodness, that's a great but album. D- just to kind of bring it, because I also I want to talk about that level, but also how it comes down to like your personal perspective, mm-hmm. just on what you're putting out. The same things in a different way that we expect of people on any level of making music. You know, you're somebody that like we would like joke about, you know, like we'd be like, man, until so by the way, Ace put out a great project last year, Free Nights and Weekends. You should download it. Thank um, you. Thank you, speci- thank you. Specifically the song with with I love the song with Nick Sanborn. Oh made of oak man. of Sylvanessa, who is up for a Grammy tonight as well. Um much love for him. I I hope they win it. They yeah, need, that'd be incredible. great for North Carolina. Honestly. I, I'm gonna be enjoying it when I'm watching this on this rooftop party that I don't know if anyone's joining me for. Whoa. I don't know if anyone's coming. That was really swanky if you to throw in there. It's not my party. But you're still invited to a rooftop party. I'm not invited. It's a public thing. (laughs) Oh, okay, sweet. (laughs) It's a public event. But no one, I didn't know about it. Yeah. Well, you should come. Hey, thank you for the invite. Uh, So, anyways, I'm going to invite Justin now. But before that project, I don't know if it had been like one decade, two decades, some amount of decades since you had last dropped. You're ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) I've only been alive for two decades, so it had to be. But no, you you felt the same pressures definitely. Uh, So I I thought, yeah, what what, how does it relate to you, or at least, or if you don't feel the pressures, why? Like, Um, me personally, I had gone from a mindset of attack, 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 attack. I get a beat, got to make something on it in two weeks. It's got to be out or something like that. And then um, with the project that I put out before that, Analog Youth, one of the main drawbacks that I had to the project was the fact that I was like, I wish I would have spent maybe like another month just living with the songs. And that's a big part of my artistry. If I can make the songs, live with them, listen to them like in different environments, like everything changes, you know, listen to on the road, at home. A big part of like me making music is my family's into it. Like that's how I kind of got my start. So if I'm making music, I want to be able to at least present it to my family. Like, yo, that's what I've been working on. Like, even if you don't like all of it, can you see the progression? If they can't see I'm making any progress, then I'm like, okay, hold on. How can I expect 20 people to even listen or care or be emotionally invested in what's going on? So um, you made a joke in the article where you talked about all the great projects. You were like, he's known to delete full bodies of work. Well, <laughs> yeah, but you, I mean, you did. I did. I did. <laughs> but the like, for what it's worth, there are people that still have it. And that is kind of like a cornerstone or it gives me like a timestamp of where I was in my artistry. So the people that are like, oh, I still have this. I remember these. I remember this. I'm like, oh, sweet. So now I go back and listen to them. I'm like, well, what were they hearing in that? Like, where was I at mentally when I made this? How can I either channel this into what I'm making now? So the same people will be like, we're not so mad at you for deleting, deleting all your music. Like, it's okay. Like, this is really good. This makes up for it technically. I'm in that camp. 
See, how I'm much does touring boy. play into the amount of music that you put out? Because I do think that yeah, if that's you're a, constantly on the road and other jobs, and you have other jobs, right? Then like that might change how much you know for. Um, Blue collar, the blue collar artist, the blue collar rapper. Um, I think that with Danny Blaze all the time. I'm like, oh, man, man, I just, I just like want to hear more, but I also want to be respectful of like people have other lives. You know, it's crazy. Out. I was doing a show with him last night, and he was playing tracks that I was like, this, yes, yes. Like whenever you want to put it out, I'm here for it. Like <laughs> yes, because Sorry, I kind of cut you off. Though. No, no, no. I, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, just curious because I do think that when you're, uh, when you're on tour like that mm-hmm. and you uh are feeling that pressure to you know at least for local rappers who mm-hmm. maybe aren't touring outside of their like state as much um not saying that that's oh, you yeah. in particular but just in general that you catch um a lot of the same fans because mm-hmm. you're playing some mm-hmm. venues and stuff like that and so it's harder to get away with playing the same music right. over and over um versus if you are uh, you know, you drop a big project, you're mm-hmm. touring, you know, Sylvanoso for, you know, we brought them up earlier, they're getting ready to do an international tour, like, right. they're, you know, they drop a project, they're tour for a year on that same project, and then, like, they come back, they do it all again, versus playing the same four venues. And I somewhat adopted some of that uh, mentality, um, because when I started making music, it was straight, like, bedroom mentality, like, I make what's in my room, go out, someone invites me to a show, do the show, do every single song that I feel like is going to be awesome, and then, woo, it's a success. And I wasn't thinking, like, okay, well, if I want to do this for, like, three months straight, I'm personally going to get tired of doing this same seven to ten songs in a row. And over the past, let's say, two or three years, um, being blessed to, like, have opportunities to, perf- opportunities to perform in Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. Even recently, I had my first show in New York this past summer, and that was crazy. And, <laughs> and a part of that was, like, all right, um... When I go on, like like you said, when I go on the road, do I have songs that I know are going to be easily, like easily, easily accepted in a sense? Like, okay, which songs do I am I the most comfortable with? Because as an artist, like if you're not comfortable with what you're doing, the success rate for it in a live setting gets crazy. And I'm meticulous to the point where like I remember exactly what song and what moment where I was like rec- like performing, and I saw everyone switch off or tune out. Because that's when the phones come out. That's when the chatter starts coming. And then it gets really de- like depleting in a sense. Yeah. You're like, oh, my goodness. I knew I should have just cut these three out. I just mm. went for what I know works best. And then um, in the live setting, it gives you an opportunity to see and hear what your music sounds like in a big room. And that was a big thing that I was upset with when I was making like analog youth and things in between, I was like, I don't think these songs can fill a big room just sonically. Not even a matter of drawing people, not really about popular appeal. I wasn't thinking about who to market it to. I was like, when I play these songs in the room, I wanna make sure that this sounds good, this sounds good, this sounds good, because then it all comes back full circle. I feel good about it. I'm like, okay, these guys are gonna hear the snare drum when I want them to hear the snare, and it's gonna line up with this line, and then boom, everyone's gonna be like, oh. How do you feel about, if you had other pressures on you, like financially, or if there was someone else invested in a project of yours, like there was another entity, whether it was like oh, a label always. or something like that, that was forced, that was like kind of get you to hit a date or to hit deadlines. Could you do that? Is it something you would just specifically never deal with because it doesn't fit with your style of it needs to fit right with you and your family and your live show and everything? Um, you can't say what you won't do until you try or you come across that bridge. So I'm going to always keep my 
abilities open. If someone was like, all right, I need this in six months, I'm like, well, technically, I already have six months of work prepared. It's <laughs> a matter of you liking it. Yeah. And then from there, it's like, all right, now we got to make it really good and then put it out into the ether. But um, back to Justin's point, like, I know I'm not touring the world. I'm not Beyonce. I'm not Frank. Like, I know I have to work with what I have. So if I'm, for a specific amount of time, I'm regional. I want to do what obviously regionally ties in sonically and then also give my own sense of originality upon that. That's the reason why we're even in this room. Because if I wasn't thinking, like, if I didn't start off rapping over Ninth Wonder Beats, people that rap wouldn't give a damn about me rapping. Like, that's simple. Like, it's really, really simple. And then from there, I was like, okay, well, I'm influenced by these other aspects of music. Now that I have your ear, like, I need your trust that I'm going to communicate these same elements that you liked over this Ninth Wonder Beat over a beat from, like, a vacay or a Made of Oak or anyone like that, like... You mentioned it. VK is VK is our producer Holland's. Who? <laughs> what? Oh, is this supposed to be a secret? I just wanted to give you your full audio plug, you know, because there's no lower thirds here at all. No one knows, all. so yeah. Like shout out to VK. And and even in the travels of seeing other artists perform, like that's why I noticed. I'm like, oh snap, these dudes can perf- like produce and rap at the same time. Oh my goodness, I came from playing an instrument, so you only like you know you can only do one thing at a time, like. Mm-hmm. play the instrument so now i'm like oh wow how can i incorporate that aspect of performance into the vocal production and bringing that out to to and- to, to bring this back to kind of the original the the uh origin of this the genesis of this i want to yeah. ask a question that you don't want to answer which is when's the next time you think you'll be putting out a project next time i think i'm putting out a project um all the pressure that these like regional hip-hop podcasts put on the artists to give answers about when their next project nah, there's out. there is somewhat type of a pressure but it's mostly internal it's like whenever i feel it's like the peak of my acceptance of the artist art okay so this is a not it's a non-answer <laughs> so yeah I'll, I'll look for that date on the calendar <laughs> <laughs> no um i know for sure i have some some jams coming out in the next couple of weeks whoa whoa whoa, whoa. And then from there, everything is else. Um, everything else is pretty uh, serendipitous. So hopefully, Perfect. hopefully before the end of the year, I get uh, a body of work out to the people. Whether it's just straight audio or mixed media, that's what I, that's where my brain is usually at. I'm yeah, like, mixed media, including a piece on Super Empty. A piece on Super Empty. Oh yeah. yeah. So so that'll be the first start into doing some other media. All right, it's been good having you on, Ace. Thank you. Come for back anytime. To thank the you. Show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And last but not least, this was our phone conversation with KJ Kearney. Uh, he's writing a piece this week for Super Empty about the North Carolina and South Carolina music scenes and the lack of connections between the two. Hope you enjoy. So we've got KJ Kearney on the phone. He's a writer, cultural critic. He's been a candidate for South Carolina House of Representatives, 
recently started a company called Charleston Sticks Together, and I first came across him actually on the internet when I was doing uh, clothing for the first time with Thrill City eight years ago. He was running a streetwear blog called Higher Learning. So he's a very esteemed guest on our show. Um, KJ, I just wanted to give you a second to explain Charleston Sticks Together a little bit more before we get into the topic. Yeah, no problem. First of all, thank you for calling me esteemed. I don't think that's happened ever in my life. I doubt I it. I appreciate that. <laughs> Second of all, uh, Charleston Sticks Together has morphed over the years as different things. Uh, in its current iteration, it's a platform, a positive platform for Gullah Geechee culture. Um, Gullah Geechee people are the direct descendants of the first African slaves brought to uh, Charleston, South Carolina. So our culture has been around for over 400 years. And so we just decided to use all the information that we've gathered from running for office, putting on events, making clothes to kind of uh, highlight that culture in a more positive way. And then for some people, just introduce them to it in the first place. A lot of people don't even know that it exists. Right, yeah, you and Mint Nelson are doing that work, man. He's on Twitter, like, posting that constantly. I don't know if I met him through you, by the way. Uh, I think so. I think maybe at one of the big mix events, uh, we had their rap group perform, Oxymoron, so everything's connected. Yeah. Well, actually, that's, that's funny, because that's what um, you're going to be kind of talking about. When I hit you up and said I was starting the site back up, and I just was hoping that you would be able to write if you had the time, the first topic that you hit me with was about North Carolina, South Carolina, um, and just feeling a little bit out of touch, the lack of connections between the two. You saying that, you know, there wasn't a lot of touch points with the NC scene for you. I think I can speak for Justin in saying that it feels like South Carolina is pretty disconnected. I know very little about the South Carolina hip hop scene um, as far as what is out there. So, so yeah, I just wanted you to kind of talk about that on the show and we could kind of fill out that article and yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully dropping the same day that this episode drops. Well, I mean, first of all, I think for those who are listening who may not be from the Carolinas, uh, they need to understand that we do not act as one. Like people always, they always put us together. They label us as the Carolinas, but we have two very distinct cultures and, uh, you know, we, we eat barbecue differently. You guys are on that vinegar-based BS. <laughs> we do mustard sauce down here. You know, I mean, there's so many things that we can talk about that makes us different. But with that being said, um, we should be a little bit more connected, in my opinion, my humble opinion, we should be a little bit more connected in terms of developing a, a youth culture, whether that be through hip-hop, whether it be through fashion. Uh, there's just no really, in my opinion there's just not a really uh, a good infrastructure for information so there are people i talk about like i'm wearing the the black wall street hat now from runaway brand and i tell people about runaway they're like what's that like i've never wow. heard of them before what a plug and vice versa you know i might tell people from north carolina about stuff that's going on down here and they're like oh that sounds cool i've never heard of that so just you know the article was just my way of trying to think out loud on why that is and maybe what we can do to change that yeah you framed it around this artist black zach and and it was kind of like a, a funny opening to it because you were talking about him coming out and claiming the title of the richest rapper in south carolina and you were saying that right. there's such a a lack of a uh an epicenter for that culture to even exist that no one even knew how to challenge that point like there was no you someone asked you that and you're like I, I don't know i don't even how would i know right Right, and, 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 on, and on top 
of that, I mean, what does that really mean to be the, the, the richest rapper in South Carolina, right? Like, it's not like Atlanta. If you're the richest rapper in Atlanta or Cali or Texas, you might be doing something, but right. South Carolina, though, like, what a Really like you don't even know what that dollar amount is. You, like what? How much money do you? You think you said that in the piece was like how much money do you have to have to be the richest rapper in South Carolina? Correct. And like, is that money from D boying? Like, is he out here trapping, <laughs> or is that like from rap? Like, where where are we making that delineation? But yeah, I mean, I think Zach Zach Black uh, Black Zach community brings up that interesting point that you know that stuff like that could be happening an hour and a half away from me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even aware. Like, it took a homeboy from Tennessee to hit me up and be like, yo, who is this dude? And I really had no answers for him. And so that really just brought up the whole, man, there needs to be an infrastructure of information in the Carolinas so that our culture can grow. Do you think that there's not um, enough artists, I guess, I would assume in South Carolina, who can, who've been able to come up and kind of carry any kind of torch that has elevated a certain local scene in any given city. The only name that I've heard in even like recent years is Nick Grant, who I think now is based out of Atlanta. He was performing in Durham last year. Uh, yeah, and he's not even in really right. the South Carolina scene anymore. Right, I mean, and to be real, there's a lot of people from South Carolina who'd never heard of him until <laughs> wow. he got on. And it was like, yeah. who is this dude? So, I mean, Where I was he from? He was born in South Carolina. Uh, Walterboro, South Carolina, I believe. And so, you know, there's a lot of people who didn't even know this dude existed. I mean, I know people in Walterboro, and they didn't even know this man. (laughs) It's just funny because Walterboro doesn't sound like a metropolis at all. It's not a metropolis at all. (laughs) But, you know, um, I mean, but that that whole Nick Grant thing, that's a conversation for another day. But it does still, it still illustrates the point that somebody as talented as him who claims a place as small as Walterboro is still relatively unknown within the state. Mm-hmm. So how do we bridge that gap? I mean, how do we... I feel like there's blood on the ground, and, you know, when there's blood on the ground, they say that's the time to buy property. So while it may sound like I'm all doomsday, the the fact that there isn't a, a, an information infrastructure set up means that someone can set one up. Mm-hmm. And their opportunity there to to be the first. Do you think there's enough? Correctly, is there enough happening uh, in various cities in South Carolina that that for that infrastructure to be put in place, that there'd be enough people tuning in and checking it out? And especially, I'm thinking from the North Carolina point of view, um, you know, we're working with this to try to get people just within our state to look at more of the hip hop scene here. The quality would have to be really mm-hmm. good, I think, from another state next door for people to tune in and, and look deeper. I think that's a really good question. Um, I would say yes, only because being that, uh, I mean, I covered streetwear in South Carolina for a long time. And because of my work, I was able to speak at, you know, South by Southwest, uh, different colleges and universities. There's over 4 million people in the state of South Carolina. So, yeah, I mean, just from a number standpoint, there definitely is. But just because there's numbers doesn't mean, you know, you build the stadium. It doesn't mean people are going to come see the games. So there's, yes, there's enough people. Um, and I believe there's enough artists uh, for, for consumers uh, in this marketplace. But the creation of 
the platform, I think, is is treated as a second fiddle, almost over like an afterthought, instead of using that as the thing to be. All right, let, let's build this this platform, and if we do it correctly, then people will come out of the woodworks. Because it happened when I was writing about clothes. Right. You know, it was just a passion of mine. And then I find all these brands in all these small towns in South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Mississippi, and Arkansas, and like people were just coming out the woodworks. But I think it's because higher learning established itself as a reputable platform. It's like, okay, this dude knows what he's talking about. He's writing intelligently. I want to be a part of that. Here's my info. Yeah. So one thing I was asking you about the piece was, um, to your knowledge, had anything like that been attempted recently in South Carolina? Yeah, definitely. There was a gentleman at one time named Randy Roper, who now lives in Atlanta. Uh, he used to write for this, um, this. it was like a super regional, regional uh, hip-hop magazine. And what was it called? Murder Dog? Something like that. And um, he had his own personal blog called uh, The Writer's Block. And Randy legit was the gatekeeper of hip-hop. Like, Charlamagne the God would comment on his blog. Um, You know, I mean, it was just, it was a really big thing for South Carolina. I don't know why he stopped, but I would assume it's because he wasn't able to monetize it. So what's the use of having 100,000 readers a month if you can't pay your cell phone bill? Man, that's a scary thing to hear on the Super (laughs) Empty Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just the same thing we're trying to do, man. It's tough. No, I was just saying, it's the same issue with anyone trying to build a platform like that. It's really hard. Yeah, it's hard, but I think it's hard because you have creative people that think of these um, these uh, outputs as creative outputs only. And they don't think of them as business. So, like, when people hit me up, y'all, I want to start a blog. I was inspired by your blog, blah, blah, blah. Why'd you stop blogging? I tell them the same thing, and I'll tell y'all the same thing. I would never suggest anyone start a blog a podcast, any media outlet, if they don't know for sure, at least two streams of revenue. Like, if you can't go into it saying, all right, at minimum, we can sell hats and stickers, or we can throw events, or we can do video content, we can direct music videos for other people based on our video interviews, we can sell, you know, like, people just go into it saying, all right, I have a passion and I want to do this, but they don't realize this is a lot of work, dude. Like, running a blog, a podcast, a clothing company, like, all that is a lot of work. And right. if you don't go into it with the ideal of, all right, this is how we're going to make money, then, what you know, what happens, and this is what happened to me. So I would build, I built this platform, and people were really vibing with it. And then I'd be like, okay, well, I'm not posting you for free anymore. If you want me to do a long-form article about your clothing brand, if you want me to post your entire lookbook, you know, anything more than just a blurb, I'm going to charge you. And people were like, well, you never charged me before. So, you know, you kind of got to get people used to the financial structure in the beginning. Because very few people can go from, I'm going to do this entire service for free to now, you know, I'm going to charge you. Right. And then when it, you know, inevitably collapses eventually... Uh, within a couple of years, if you don't have that plan in place, then then really, what service are you doing if if you're not around to see Correct. it through? I'm all about you know protecting and 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 
because I've been, you know, I'm, I'm older now, it's like the culture is cool, but again, if I cannot pay my cell phone bill at minimum, if I can't pay my car note at minimum, then why do it? No, oh, yeah, I get it completely. But that's just where I'm at, you know. You know, I'm not 21 anymore, so I think about things in different terms. Right. All good stuff for us to consider, and, and I think that I think right now North Carolina is our, our top priority, but definitely considering South Carolina, that, that connection that you brought up is very important as well. Justin, do you have anything? No, I think there's a lot there's a lot of wisdom there though, especially talking about creatives turning their passion into business. Um, it's something not only that people don't think about, but also like the infrastructure our learning infrastructures aren't really uh, teaching us that as well. So hopefully uh, the university systems, even the high school systems, are picking up on that. Like these creative people need more than just to learn how to do their pa- their art, but to also, yeah, like monetize it and make a living out of it. So, um, you know, we're we're fortunate to be able to do that at Runaway, and hopefully can inspire, help other people do that as well. Yeah, it's, it's been really good to have you, KJ. I appreciate you being on the show. You are you are no our first remote caller. So now it feels like the entire world has been open to us. We can interview anybody. Word. <laughs> I'm glad to be the guinea pig. And next like week we will have Migos on the show. <laughs> I'm pleased to announce. There you go. <laughs> All right, man. It's good talking to you. We'll, uh, we'll talk about those events no soon. Problem. I love talking to KJ, man. What a good podcast guest. Very wise. Glad we were able to get him on the phone. Doing remote guests. That's we, great we, for us. Ha- we can do anything. The sky's the limit. Well, for people that did stick with us here till the end, we know we ran a little long, but it was a pretty dense episode. I feel like we covered a lot of ground. So we hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Super Empty on the Runaway Podcast Network. Uh, We've also got The Rundown this week. Uh, For people who aren't familiar, it's an events curating show here in the Triangle. So if you live in the Triangle, you're looking for something to do, check Mandy and I out on The Rundown. Uh, and what else should people do for the super empty? Well, podcast? I want to thank our I want to thank our presenting sponsor, Me Undies. Uh, I just I love Me Undies. They're no, I don't know anything about Me Undies. Uh, <laughs> we don't have a presenting sponsor, but please do rate and review us. Maybe we'd get a presenting sponsor if we had more ratings and reviews on iTunes. Um, yeah, it just helps us reach more people with this. We put a bunch of time into it, and I think we can tell every week it's like really getting tighter, and we're we have great guests. So. I'm happy with it, and it's just going to keep on improving. We're excited for next week, so we'll see you then. Marcy me, streets is my artery. Vein of my existence, I'm the Gotham City heartbeat. I started in lobbies now. Polly with Saudis, I'm a Sufi to Goofies. I could probably speak Farsi. That's poetry, Rika Coca leaf from my past. Came through the bushes smelling like roses. I need a trophy just for that. Old Brooklyn, not this new shit. Shit feel like a spoof. Fat laces in your shoe. I'm talking busting off the roof. Hold the ooze vertical, let the thing smoke. Y'all flirting with death, I be winking through.